Hi everyone, this is Dr. Thompson, and today we are going to talk about the GI map, the stool test that we use to help find different infections in the gut. We'll do a, a GI map test when we suspect that there's some infections going on in the gut. We might see that there's um, you know, bloating, constipation, gas, discomfort, that kind of thing, or we might suspect that the um, person's symptoms are related to the gut. So we'll do this to see exactly what type of infections are in the gut. We might do this if we see in the blood that monocytes, eosinophils, basophils, lymphocytes, those are elevated or decreased and we know that there's some sort of infection, we'll do a GI map test to see exactly what's going on so we can aim our antimicrobials very specifically at what we will uh, wanna kill. So when we look at the GI map, it starts by looking at pathogens. So it'll start with these bacterial pathogens, things like C. diff, E. coli, Salmonella, and um, Vibro. And so these are pathogens that should not be in our GI tract at all. Certain bacteria we always have, um, staph, strep, those kind of things we have, but these are things that we should not have. And so they're they're the pathogens. And so when we see these, they will be in red and it'll be higher. And we can see how high the levels are based off of what the test shows. And so we don't want to see any of these. Then we see parasitic pathogens. Parasitic pathogens and, and, and all parasites on the GI map test are really hard to catch because parasites are really um, they're devious little creatures, and when they die, they'll shrivel up. They're encased in biofilm in our gut, which is basically like a coating and protecting that will keep our immune system from knowing that it's there. So parasites are really hard to catch on a GI map. If they're not there, we don't rule them out. Enviropathogens, norovirus, uh, H. pylori, all of these are things that we don't ever want to see. H. pylori, there's a lot of different types of H. pylori, and so um, H. pylori can have really distinct, um, really distinct symptoms, depression, panic attacks, um, electric shock-like feelings, uh, very, very distinct, very, usually very symptomatic. Then we have our normal bacteria flora. And we look at normal bacteria flora, these are our good flora that is gonna protect us. So this is what we want to have, we don't want to have it too low and we don't want to have it too high. And so when we see in here that these are too low, we know that there's some gut dysbiosis. As things shift in your gut, as you start to get infections or parasites, the, the amount of good flora will decrease as the bad flora increases. We want to have about 80% of our flora in our gut good. That's going to be these guys. So we want to make sure that those there's enough of those because those are going to be what help you know, regulate your, your thyroid hormones and keep your, um, keep your body absorbing the vitamins and minerals and breaking down hormones and all of the important things that the gut does. These bacteria are important for it. When they're really high, we know that that's also not good. We want them in a happy medium. So we want to make sure that these guys are just right where they're supposed to be, not too low, not too high. And if they are out, we know that there's some gut dysbiosis there. Then we see opportunistic bacteria. So these guys are part of our normal uh, GI, our GI tract, but when they get too high, they become 
opportunistic, they become problematic. So things like enterococcus, pseudomonas, staph, strep, we have those to a certain extent, but when they get too high, they cause problems. So as you can see here, she has a few high levels, and so we would definitely want to bring those back into range to get those back where they're not going to cause any problems. We want the flora to be to live in harmony. We want more good than bad, and we want the opportunistic stuff to definitely be on the low end. So we would definitely work on bringing these down with some antimicrobials. Then we see in here that we have some autoimmune triggers, and these are really, really fascinating bacteria that we have. These guys can cause symptoms when they're high that will appear like autoimmune things. So we'll see joint pain. This is a big one that we see. People have joint pain that they've had for years, and when you see that some of these are high, when they come back down after an antimicrobial um, protocol, then they'll say, oh my goodness, my joint pain is gone. I haven't felt this good in years. So it's very, very cool that um, we can link some of these kind of obscure symptoms like joint pain to gut bacteria. Then we go down into fungi and yeast. The most common fungi that we see is candida. Candida is a yeast overgrowth in the gut, and it's really an opportunistic overgrowth. It tends to come when um, there's dysbiosis in the gut, and this is going to cause sugar cravings. This is going to cause carb cravings. You might wake up in the middle of the night. You might wake up in the middle of the night and crave sugar and carbs, but candida is um, very, very common. We can also look for candida on the organic acids test, but um, here we see that the candida is high, and so we know that um, we need to do some antifungals, anti antifungal protocols with this client. Candida also can cause depression, anxiety, that kind of stuff. And the die-off can sometimes be a little bit harsh with candida. Then we can see here viruses. So Epstein-Barr virus is a very common virus that people carry. What we don't want to see is that it's high. It's carried in much of the population. Most people are asymptomatic from it. But what we don't want to see is that Epstein-Barr is high, showing Epstein-Barr kind of flare-up. That can make people feel really lethargic, really fatigued, just not wanting to do anything. Just um, a lot of people describe it as feeling very blah. So an Epstein-Barr virus, um, we, not unusual to have it, but we definitely don't want to see it high. Then we get into the parasite section. And so in the parasites, there's a lot of different types of parasites. Most people think of ropeworm or tapeworm, those, you know, worms that you're going to see and they're, they're long and they're big. But a lot of parasites, like the protozoa, are actually microscopic, so you're not going to see them. Um, and so it's not as, I guess, satisfying for people when they start, you know, seeing that they have parasites, they're not going to see them passing. But there's a lot of different types. So like I said, the parasites, if you don't see them, don't rule them out. They definitely can be there. And so in hers, interestingly enough, there was a one detected. And so this means that she definitely has high amounts in her body for enough that we can catch it on a stool test. When you're taking these GI maps, you'll definitely want to um, use the, you'll go to the bathroom in a container and um, they ask you to pull stool from different parts. That is very important to get stool from 
samples from all different areas in the stool because within the stool there's a lot that can change and so you'll definitely want to pull from as many different areas as you possibly can and so when you're trying to get parasites that's really important if you see things that look like little seeds and you haven't eaten sesame seeds put one of those in there that can definitely be a an egg or um, anything that looks slightly abnormal try to get it in there just so that if it is something they can catch it in the lab and then we look at our um, intestinal, this, this intestinal health section shows us kind of what's going on in our body. And so when we look at elastase, elastase is a digestive enzyme that's going to be secreted by the pancreas. And so if you have low elastase, this can show, you know, a suppressed pancreas or suppressed pancreatic function, gallstones, but most commonly it'll show us low stomach acid. Low stomach acid can come from H. pylori, the infection, but it also can come from many other things. And so we kind of want to see if there's, uh, we'll tie that back and see if low stomach acid is the reason for it or H. pylori. It also is common if someone is a vegan or vegetarian. So we kind of have to do a little bit of detective work and see what the cause is there. But um, low elastase can definitely just be low low stomach acid, or it could be for something deeper. So if you have low elastase, things like chewing thoroughly, that can be big. Um, doing some digestive enzymes with H HCL in it will help. And then uh, bile salts and digestive herbs if we need to go down that route. Then we look at sciatocrit, and that is our the fat in our stool. And so this is normally gonna be emulsified by bile, and so if we see this high, we know that there's going to be some maldigestion, malabsorption, or too much fat. And so causes of high steatocrit are low stomach acid again, you know, not chewing your food thoroughly, not digesting your food thoroughly. We can also see if the elastase is low, and if that's low and the steatocrit is low, then we, we're probably looking at some pancreatic issues. We might not have enough bile salts or there might be something like celiacs. So kind of with these ones with the, the digestion, you have to look at the whole picture and see what it possibly could be. Then we look at beta-glucuronidase, and this can be, high levels can be, can indicate some metabolic changes in the colon. And so we know that this could be um, detox issues, or it could just be gut dysbiosis. So gut dysbiosis just meaning that the high levels of the, the, the good and the bad flora are a little bit out of balance. So certain infections will cause beta-glucuronidase. And so some of those infections are staph and clostridium. So if you have those infections and you see high beta-glucuronidase, that um, definitely goes along with the dysbiosis. So if um, you just kind of have to do a little bit of detective work, overexposure to toxins can also increase beta-glucuronidase. So you kind of sometimes have to dig a little bit deeper and do something like a GPL tox or heavy metals to see if there's a toxin exposure there. Then we look at the secretory IgA. Secretory IgA is one of our aminoglobulins that is going to be basically our first line of defense in the intestine. And so if you see 
low IgA, that means your immune system is suppressed. And so it could be chronic dysbiosis, chronic stress, immunocompromised patient, or protein malabsorption. And then if you see high IgA, that can be things like chronic dysbiosis, acute infection, and food sensitivities. So when we see IgA is really elevated, um, you know, a lot of time it's infection, but it also can be someone's eating food that isn't really sitting well with them. So you kind of have to do, again, a little bit of detective work and sometimes go do some food intolerance testing. And then, of course, you would see if there was infections based off the GI map. So both of those are probable causes of the, um, of the, of IgA being a little bit off. Then we see the anti-gliadin. Anti-gliadin, um, gliadin is a form of gluten. And so it is a protein found in wheat. And it basically, if you see the antibodies, it can indicate an immune response to gluten. And so if you see high anti-gliadin, that means that they're having a reaction to gluten in their gut. And so you would definitely want to tell them that they need to pull off of gluten. Doesn't mean they have celiacs, Celiacs and gluten intolerance are different, but it means that they're having a reaction to gluten, so that more of the gluten intolerance um, aspect there. And then the um, the occult blood testing. If you have um, blood in the stool, it can be from a few things. It can be um, inflammatory bowel disease. It can be things like polyps. It can be things like an ulcer. It can be things like um, iron deficiency anemia that causes a bleed. So you kind of have to dig a little bit deeper with the occult blood. And then we look at the calprotectin. And calprotectin is a basically a marker of inflammation in the gut. And so when we see elevated levels of calprotectin, we know that there is probably some infections and probably some dysbiosis. Then, you know, beyond that, there could be things like food allergies, toxins like environmental toxins that we would look for in a GPL tox, even mycotoxins from molds, and then certain drugs. NSAIDs also can increase inflammation in the gut. Then things like inf inflammatory bowel disease, that's something that would come next, but mostly we're looking at infections, dysbiosis, food allergies, and toxins will increase calprotectin. And then we look at zonulin. Zonulin is actually a protein that opens the tight junctions in our gut. So we have these tight junctions that basically will hold the cells in our gut together that won't allow food particles and different vitamins and minerals to pass through. And so when zonulin is high, we know that the tight junctions have opened up. And so we know that things are passing through. So food's not gonna be absorbed properly. Hormones like thyroid hormones are gonna be passing through the gut. So we know that um, your vitamins and minerals also won't be. And so when zonulin is high, we know that there's an aspect of leaky gut there. So we definitely see that a lot of times with infections, with gut dysbiosis, leaky gut goes hand in hand. And so we really have to work on getting rid of the infections and then getting rid of the, um, that dysbiosis. We want to get everything back in balance. We want the good flora to outweigh the bad, and we want it to be much higher than the bad, actually. And then go on and repair those tight junctions. 
and repair that leaky gut so that your gut's absorbing what it needs to be, things aren't passing freely, and um, the gut will start to work better. You'll notice that you know constipation, bloating, diarrhea, all of that gets better as you start to get rid of infections, bring the gut flora back into balance, and then heal up those tight junctions. So I hope you guys all learned something, and I will talk to you guys later. Have a great day. Bye-bye.